turn this morning to 1 John. 1 John in chapter 2. So thankful for all of the guys that came last Sunday after church and helped us remove the floor in the lobby. Um, in the next couple of weeks, we'll have it replaced. And again, it was just great to spend the day with church family, um, laboring together in the Lord. So thank you for that. If you're a first-time guest here today and you don't have a Bible with you, that is our gift to you. You'll find a copy of the Bible in the seat in front of you. And if you can turn to the book of letter of 1 John and join with us this morning. We've covered a lot of ground, beloved, to this point. We've learned a lot out of this letter. I was speaking to one of our missionaries from Nicaragua yesterday afternoon. We were talking about a particular struggle that he has in his ministry and an issue that he's going to speak on with many of the ministry leaders there in Nicaragua. And uh, a lot of our conversation centered around um, what the Lord has grown in my heart as we've walked through this particular letter. Um, There's so much here in such a short uh, few number of words. There's so much meaning. Um, The brevity here should never be misunderstood to be uh, that there's a lack of meaning. There, there's potent understanding to absorb here. Um, we've learned to this point that we are of God. And that the whole world, chapter 5, verse 19, lies in the power of the evil one. We've learned that if we are, in that one verse, if we are Christians this morning, it is only because God has made us so. We are of God. That The Greek leaves No misunderstanding. Now, theologians may misunderstand, but what John was writing and what God inspired and what the Greek says can't be misunderstood. And that is that we come out of God. That it is only by His birthing us anew that we are anything different than what is in this dark and spiritually dead world. John then goes on and is writing in the context of that dark world to a people who come out of God, who are born of God. He is writing that that group might have lasting joy. And he points that that joy then must be rooted in our fellowship with God. And so he points the, the reality that sin can hinder our fellowship with God. God is light. In Him is no capacity for darkness at all. And yet we know that we are sinful. And that apart from God in us, in man, is no light at all. That the only light that we have in our lives comes from the living triune God. John goes on to write then that we may not sin. That we might live lives understanding that we have been set free by the power of the Spirit of God to live lives that glorify God, to live lives that are in true, genuine fellowship with God and lives of rich and lasting joy. Not, not just some punchline kind of joy, but real experiential joy as we walk with the Lord even in a dark world. And, and John's method is not what you would expect in encouraging us not to sin. He doesn't just give us only an admonishment, hey, suck it up and don't sin. But he points to the reality that when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ is at the right hand of the Father this moment, pleading His blood for those that He came to save. And that He is not advocating begrudgingly, but according to the plan of salvation that was laid out before the foundation of time. As it turns out, there is no darkness in Christ. And because of that reality, because of His holiness, because of His goodness, His promises are sure. And we can have a a, a solid foundation upon which to live our lives knowing that when we stumble and fall, we have an advocate. But that reassurance doesn't lead us to sin, it leads us to Christ and away from sin. John points to 
what turns out then to be a simple test of whether or not we're running to Christ or we're running headlong in the direction of a dark world. And that simple test is this. Do you love your brother? Do you genuinely love the body of Christ? Do you genuinely love those who love the gospel of grace? Do you walk in the light towards those who are in Christ? John says, if you say that you love Christ, but you hate your brother, flatly you're lying. You're still in the darkness. If you say that you walk in the light, but you hate your brother, you could not be more blinded to your own sin. As it turns out, in all of these words, there's one word that I think we neglect far too often in our reading of this text. Friends, I, it's been you know, just a few weeks ago that we celebrated the 4th of July. And, and, and you know, we, we gather in the evening time on the 4th with our families in our communities. And we watch the night sky for fireworks. And it's a, a wonderful uh, time of celebration of our civil liberty and all of those things in our nation's history. But as I was sitting there this year, one of the things that, that just as these verses lay heavy on my heart was a reality. It's that there is the darkness that the world is. And there is the fireworks seemingly like the Word of God just explode against the night sky. And if we really understand the Word of God, they really, the, the words of God should impress upon our hearts like fireworks. Where there is a center point, that is Christ, and then they scatter from there. And each constituent word points back to Jesus and our relationship with Him and light uh, illuminates the sky and illuminates us to understand how we can live lives centered on Christ and on who He is. These words erupt into a dark world like that. They scatter and they point us ultimately back to Jesus. These, these words should be taken carefully. And so today, friends, I want us to focus on loving each other well in the body of Christ. And I want that focus to be rooted in one word in the Greek found here. Uh, one well-connected word that I think points all the way back to our joy in the fellowship that we can have with Christ and with one another. And that one word that helps us to understand how we should live our lives is the Greek word scandalon. We translate that word for uh, offense or stumbling block or temptation. The Webster's Dictionary defines it as a scandal, as something that offends propriety or that by circumstance will offend those who are aware of its happening. As we've spoken before, we need to be very careful not to just take Webster's or Oxford Dictionary terms and read them into the text. So I want to spend today not just belaboring a word for the sake of doing it, but looking at this word that we might love one another well in this body of Christ. So if you would do honor to the reading of God's word and stand this morning as we begin in chapter 2, being reminded that John is writing here under the inspiration of the one who authors each one of our breath. Starting in verse 7, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The com old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother and abides in the light and in him, there is no cause for stumbling. There is no scandal but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes this is the word of God to you and I today beloved would you pray with me father God we come into your presence this morning we are so thankful for the advocacy of Christ in looking at this one word because as we walk through 
uh, our understanding of this word this morning, I am certain that we will all be convicted if we are indwelt by the Spirit of God that we have caused offense in the wrong way and that we've not caused offense in the right way. And so, Father, I pray that as we walk through uh, a better understanding of what it is to cause offense, that you would give me wisdom in speaking and the words that you would have for your church to hear. And, Father, I pray that we would always be reminded of the advocacy of Christ and that our salvation doesn't rest on our neighbor, not walking and scandal. Our salvation rests upon your merits and your work alone. Father, would you grow us in our understanding and sear this word onto our hearts eternally. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. This idea of offending others or being a stumbling block, causing others to be tempted or being a hindrance to their spiritual walk is flatly condemned all throughout the New Testament and flatly condemned by Christ, as John says that we are commanded uh, to love the brothers and that this command is not new. So really, uh, the, the idea of scandalon in the original uh, church, in the first century church, was also nothing new. Uh, there was a spiritual quality to the church that there was an understanding that you are not to be a stumbling block, a hindrance, a temptation, offensive to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. But I have a few things against you, Jesus says. You, ha you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block, a scandal on, before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. What Jesus is saying is you, church, can be, if you're not careful, a temptation, a hindrance, a stumbling block, and an offense. Entire sections of the New Testament, in fact, and we're not going to, don't be nervous, we're not going to go over each one of these chapters, but are dedicated to the idea of scandalon or stumbling block or causing offense. Matthew 18, Acts 15, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, all carry with, it, uh, with them the connotation or the, of causing offenses or scandal to other brothers. And in those chapters, it is so emphatically condemned. Here's the problem. In our churches in 2021 in America, the idea of not causing spiritual offense to our brothers and sisters in the body is almost flatly ignored. It, it's relegated to, well, quite frankly, growing up in the Baptist church, I thought only a case of Budweiser was a stumbling block. That, that, that's the extent of it. In fact, there was a period of time where I wasn't quite sure that, that Stumbling Block wasn't a brand of liquor. Because that was the context in which it was always spoken of. But beloved, and I'm not going to get into that argument with you today because I'd probably cause you to stumble. Uh, but this is the reality. This word means so much more than just don't drink alcohol. At best, we have to understand that. Scandalon ultimately has these effects. It is the very definition to hate your brother as spoken against in 1 John chapter 2. It hardens others to sin. It erodes the fellowship of saints inside the body of Christ. And it is the tool that Satan so often uses to destroy local bodies of believers. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus' words here cannot be misunderstood. Woe to the world for temptation to sin. For it is necessary that temptation comes, but woe to the one by whom scandalon comes. Now, when we read those words in the English and we see temptation, I believe that what we wrongly assume of the text is that the only way that we uh, uh, can live in scandal on or what Jesus is talking about here is to actively tempt someone into sin intentionally. That's not what the meaning of the text is and we'll, I think, have a better understanding of that by the time we're done today. But immediately preceding, Jesus also says in verses 5 and 6 of Matthew 18, whoever receives one such child 
in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. The judgment against Scandalon is absolutely, emphatically, without controversy, crystal clear from the mouth of our Lord. And it should pierce the veil of our indifference to sin this morning. It should cause us to be humbled. If we don't walk out of here today, your pastor being the first, humbled under the weight of what this word means, we've misunderstood it altogether. So as we come to this word, the first thing that we have to understand is what Scandalon is not. It is not measured, first and primarily, by pleasure or displeasure of the one whom we offend. Because it's not an offense first and primarily against the flesh, but first and primarily against the holiness of God. So you may offend someone and they may thank you for it. You may offend someone and they may say, well, I love my sin. It's okay that we're doing this. But if we are sinning or enticing others to sin or hindering their spiritual growth and their walk in holiness with Christ... We are still providing scandal on. So it's not measured by whether or not our neighbor is pleased or displeased with us. It also is simply not, it's not simply a matter of law. There are some legalistic people who believe that if they merely understand the letter of the law and live by it, then they can't be the reason for stumbling and that is flat wrong. In fact, what we find in the New Testament are Judaizers who want to force onto the church the idea that ceremonial circumcision still must take place in the body of Christ. And that was a scandal. That was a stumbling block. So much so that the Apostle Paul said, let those people be anathema. So it's not just merely a matter of the law. It also is not determined by its effect. At times, someone may be offended when no actual offense has been given. And welcome to 2021 in our modern culture. It is the passing tide of our generation to be offended. If you get ticked off about what somebody has done to you, then all of a sudden you have the right to go on national TV and blast whoever you want. The reality is, unless this offense drives you away from the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and genuine fellowship with God, you have not actually been offended. Happens all the time. And at times, an offense may be given and, 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 and there is a temptation that is really there but it's not taken, and no sin actually results, but that doesn't mean that scandalon has not happened. Ultimately, it's not determined by its effect. You can scandalize, you can offend, you can hinder someone else, regardless of the outcome. It's also, and this is so important, it's not determined by intention. People will say, well, I didn't intend to do that. I didn't mean to offend. I didn't mean to harm. I didn't mean to tempt someone else to sin. But that doesn't matter. It's not the point of this text. In fact, we'll see later how Peter offends Jesus and there is no intention. Many are harmed without intent to do harm. Many will be scandalized will be drawn away from genuine fellowship in Christ and they won't even really know it. And that's why we have to be so careful about understanding what this means and how to walk in a way so as not to scandalize others. So then we have to ask the question, what what is scandal on? What is an offense? An old divine wrote this way, a scandal or offense is literally a stumbling block. It is done when something is used or done in a way that leads others to sin or hinders their spiritual walk. The deed or word may not be sinful in and of itself, but it causes someone to stumble in their spiritual walk because of the circumstance. 
being done in such a time, in such a place, in such a way, by such a person. It is a scandal irrespective of if someone actually is caused to stumble or whether the person actually intended to offend. It is found in, I believe, admoni- in, 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 as an example, what we find in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul telling fathers, don't exacerbate your children. Don't provoke your children to wrath. What he is saying there is don't be a stumbling block to your children in the way that you discipline them. Don't be so harsh on your kids as to cause them to respond in in exacerbation against you and against the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that ultimately, if we're going to understand scandalon well, if we're going to understand this word, we have to take it in context of this passage. We have to interpret the word by what the rest of what John is aiming at here. Remember the, the firework analogy, and scandalon is an outworking of the center pivotal point that our fellowship with God is what brings us lasting joy, and that He is holy and that we are called John Wright so that we may not sin and so scandal on then in that context is the robbing of your neighbor's joy by enticing them to sin in thought in word in deed such that it hinders their walk with Christ or it hinders their rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone I believe with everything in me that legalistic Christianity is a stumbling block to many people. It's not just some slight perversion. It is something God hates. And why? Because ultimately legalism leads us to rest in our own goodness, what we wear, what we say, what we do, and not in Christ. It drags us away from fellowship with God, not to Him. So that is one example of scandalon. Stumbling block is not just a list of bad things. It is a lifestyle that leads others away from the glory of Christ. A wife who is contentious or a husband who is harsh is guilty of scandal on. A parent who is permissive is guilty of scandal on. A deacon who slanders is guilty of scandal on. A fellow believer being critical and harsh and unloving towards the least of these in the body of Christ in spite of the abundant mercy of Christ in their own life is scandalon. A political authority that calls good evil and evil good is guilty of scandalon. A Christian who refuses to grow in their understanding of the Word of God and the things of God in spite of the mercy of God is scandalon. An unforgiving Christian is guilty, and that's why I think why Jesus speaks of it in Matthew 18, is guilty of scandalon. A preacher who deviates from the clear teaching of the Word of God and goes on to preach soliloquies of modern thought is guilty of scandal on. The church member who strains at all of the imperfections of the church while not focusing on their own spiritual walk is guilty of scandal on. Now if you weren't hit in that list, come talk to me after service, we'll find something. Friends, in light of this text, scandalon is no small matter. It robs people of their joy and fellowship with God so often without intention and without even knowing it. We can be led to scandalize the gospel by laying a barrier between people and Christ without even having comprehended that we've done so. That's what what the Pharisees did all throughout their religious life. They had built up these great rules and this wonderful religion and they had set themselves up as this authority, but they caused great scandal to the Jewish people because they put themselves between Jesus and the people. So how do we do this? I think that's one thing that we need to have clear in our mind. The instruments of Scandalon are this. One, to affect, misinform the understanding. To teach error is Scandalon. 
To put in the minds of people ideas that God has never spoken is scandalous. You know, I think the greatest scandal in our generation, beloved, without equivocation, clearly, and not just because I'm a preacher. I'm a pew setter first. You have to know that about me. The greatest scandal is not found in Washington. It's found in the pulpits across our land because pastors are proclaiming the thoughts that men want proclaimed and not the richness of the gospel of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. At this very hour, the scandal that is going on is that the clear doctrines of grace are not known in our land. That is a scandal. And, and misinforming the minds of people is no small thing. Misunderstanding theology is no small thing. We relegate the preaching of the gospel to a bunch of hipsters in skinny jeans. It's absolutely foolish. Can I ask you a question? If you went to Shannon this morning, and the doctor came out and said, you will have to have heart surgery this afternoon. Here is Timmy... In his skinny jeans with his latte, and he's a really cool guy. He just happens to not actually know squat about heart surgery. Are you okay with him operating on you? Would anybody say, well, he's a really cool guy. I like the way he dresses. Yeah, let's go do this. Then why in the world do we do that with the Word of God? Why do we invite men into our pulpit who do not tremble at the holiness of God and the goodness of God and the things of God? Why? You know why? Because our understanding has been so infected by the scandalous, pukish pulpits of generations of people who have a low view of God. And I feel like I might have offended somebody, but we'll get to what kind of offense that is in a moment. Secondly, we can offend by conscience. By erroneously teaching things that the Bible doesn't say and passing what we see in our own conscience on, uh, conscience on to others. Ultimately, weak brothers tend to do this and accuse others and are unkind because people don't live in accordance with their own conscience. Secondly, we can be a stumbling block, and I think this is one that is most often thought of, a, a hindrance, an obstacle, in our affections. We can entice other people to lust or to follow after the world in carnal thoughts and things. Fourth, the instrument of scandal on is weakness. There are people who will exploit individuals who are weaker than themselves and seek to, by their fragility and lack of development and lack of understanding, lead those individuals astray. So by understanding conscience, affections, and weakness, we cause others to stumble. And so here is where I want to stop for a moment and make plain... There are two different kinds of scandal on. One is passive and the other is active. We, and again, within our minds, scandal on or having an offense or being a stumbling block is the laying of an obstacle in the path of another that will hinder their joy, their fellowship with God Almighty. Do you remember Peter and Jesus and their interaction in Matthew chapter 16? From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and to be killed and on the third day to be raised. And what did Peter do? Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him saying, Far be it from You, Lord, this shall never happen to You. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are a scandal on to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of the Lord, but on the things of men. Peter had laid something in the path of Christ. And yes, we know that Jesus was able not to sin and that He was not going to sin in this direction. Uh, but Peter had laid an offense, a stumbling block, that his passion, that his suffering, that his bleeding and dying for the saints of God was beneath him. Jesus, uh, Peter had done this, and in the effect, Peter had caused offense to Jesus. Peter actively laid something in the path of another that was contrary to the words and to the will and the plan of God. And that is what it means 
to give active offense. To be an individual who lays something in the path of another that will ultimately lead them away from the will of God. Now there are other times when offense is taken, not because there is an actual offense, but because a person does not only what is lawful, but what is commanded. Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 and 12, through 12. And he called the people to him and said to him, Hear and understand, it is not what goes in the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard Jesus speaking? So there is one category, and in that, in in this particular where the Pharisees are offended, Jesus did nothing to cause the offense. He spoke the truth, and yet they were offended. And this is called a passive offense. So an individual who actively places something in the path of another that will draw them away from the joy and the fellowship that they can have with God. That is an act of offense. When we actually do what is commanded by Scripture, when we do what God has told us, when we speak what is true and others are offended, that is a passive offense. We have done what God would have us do, and yet the world is offended. In fact, Proverbs 4, verse 19, The way of the wicked is like a deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. They're offended. They're angry. Friends, our entire generation is up in arms and they don't know that the offenses that they perceive to be the greatest problem in the world are nothing in comparison with the reality that they have rejected the only begotten Son of God Almighty. So how then can we prevent and be mindful of not laying active offenses that draw others away from the gospel and from Christ? Now I want to be clear, this is a borrowed list from a man that lived over 400 years ago who is much wiser than your pastor. And there were about 20 more things on his list. So be thankful. One, we can... Seek to not be actively offensive in drawing others away from the gospel and away from Christ by being concerned for the conscience of others. By worrying about what will sear the conscience of another friend. We may be able to walk in our Christian liberty, but we need to see the reality that a weaker brother in Christ might stumble into sin and his conscience might be seared by doing a particular activity. So when we decide whether to do a thing or not do a thing, even that is permitted by the law and Christian liberty, one question we have to ask ourselves is how will this not only affect my conscience, but I'm concerned about the conscience of everybody in the body of Christ. I want to be concerned about the well-being of every... I want my life to push everyone in the direction of Jesus, not away from Him. We also have to be aware of the conscience of others by not trying to use our own conscience as the barometer, but by appealing to the words of God in being concerned for their conscience. Our desire should be to speak the word to our neighbor in such a way that their minds are actively conformed by the working of the word and the spirit of God in the direction of Christ-likeness. We also can prevent from giving active offense by being careful not to trip over the offenses of others. Matthew chapter 24, verse 10. And then many will fall away. Many will be, in the Greek, scandalized and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead others astray by scandal. There will be false teachers. So you need to be careful not to trip over the false teaching of other men. There will be those who entice you to sin, who try to put a stumbling block in your path. Don't laugh and joke at the sins of others in trying to get you to go along with them. Rather, be aware that that is happening and step over those offenses. Third, instead of despising and judging, love your brothers in Christ. 
Now, Romans chapter 14, and I'm really tempted to spend an hour here giving you an exposition of of Romans 14's teaching, but here, let's just take one verse. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. God has saved both the weak and the strong in conscience. And so what, what, what Paul is encouraging here is don't be the weak-minded brother who constantly judges your, your fellow believer in Christ for exercising their Christian liberty. Don't do that. Don't, because something offends your conscience, don't use that as, a, as an, uh, uh, an opportunity to judge your neighbor. And likewise, if you have a strong conscience, don't use your Christian liberty to despise your weaker brother in the faith. In fact, Paul goes on to lay out the reality that in the economy of the church, the strong should always condescend to the weak. And so those who are strong in their conscience should concede their position to those who are weaker. And we should use every opportunity of looking at matters of conscience as an opportunity to love one another. Not just so that everybody would agree with us. So instead of despising, instead of judging, we should love one another in the body of Christ. In areas where the Bible is not absolutely plain and clear, in areas of conscience, drive in the direction of love, friends. Fourth, we are to focus on what is important. Too often, offenses come as we pay attention to things that are just not important at all. Churches are divided over the color of the carpet and over the style of the music and over things that don't matter. People grumble and complain because tile is taken out of the lobby. Happens. But all that we reveal in those moments is that we are making mountains out of molehills and in doing so we've stumbled over absolutely nothing. Don't you love, have you ever done that in public? Where you're walking and you trip over nothing at all? That makes you feel awesome, doesn't it? And when it's in front of a big audience, that's the best part. So it's important not to stumble over nothing. Keep your eyes focused on the gospel. Keep your eyes. I think if we lived on the reality that we have an advocate, what John has just told us in this letter, if we focused our lives on that grand reality, man, so much offense would be passed over. Fifth, we need to be humble. Pride and arrogance are the very instruments of offense. Thinking that the church needs you more than you need the church is a sure path to scandal on. Sixth, we need to practice church discipline. Matthew 18 is actually a very practical thing. Remove stumbling blocks from the church. It's not just a... Matthew 18 and the, the, the removal of people from church membership, the confronting of sin in the body, is not merely an exercise of pointing out bad people or picking on individuals. It's actually a loving exercise of making sure that we are removing stumbling blocks out of the body so that the the church can run to her groom, Christ. And finally, no, not finally, focus on, this is super important, focus on the lot that God has called you to do. If you're here today and you're a husband, don't worry about how awful your wife is. Focus on how awful of a husband you are. Don't major on how little uh, someone else does in the body of Christ. Worry about giving your giftings to the Lord. Don't focus on how poor the preacher is. Focus on how poorly you apply what he made clear. What would happen if we were more concerned about what we have to give an account for on the day of judgment than everyone around us? I can guarantee you a lot of offenses would be laid to the side. If we would realize the weight of our own need to grow in Christ and our own need to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, if we allowed that to be our goal and our aim, we would serve the body of Christ well. Major on ordinances that are clearly given in Scripture. Here's one thing that happens in the body all the time. There are stumbling blocks because people come into the church and they say, I have a great idea. But can I tell you this? Jesus loves His bride, the church, way better than you or I ever will. 
And Jesus is the one who has laid down the oracles and the ordinances of the church that he purchased by his blood. So when we gather in here, our worship is not regulated by what someone who is lost down the street thinks. Our worship is regulated by the one who purchased us with his blood. And so we will come to this place to to celebrate in a way that is in accordance with the word of God. And to not cause scandal. I believe one of the things that will happen is all of the cute things that we do in our day and age on the day of judgment. They will be clearly shown to be scandalous. The the things that were done inside of church buildings to seemingly draw people to Jesus ended up actually being the things that were stumbling blocks that kept them back from a genuine fellowship and relationship with Him. Finally, make the glory of God your aim in all things. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no stumbling block, no scandal on to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. You must, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that many... That they may, that of the many, that they may be saved. Don't aim at your own glory. Don't aim at your own reputation. Don't aim at yourself. Aim at the glory of God. Scandalon does not come by mere conflict of conscience. Scandalon comes because our eyes are not focused on the glory of Christ. Scandalon comes because we are enamored with other people thinking well of us and our goodness and our religious ability instead of the merits of Christ alone. In this life, though, if in fact you live for that glory, you will cause scandalon in a different way. You will cause scandalon in the passive sense, in doing what God has called you to do, in seeking to glorify Him, in focusing on your own walk with Him, in in seeking the best for your neighbor, mark it down, you are going to offend other people. If we speak the gospel, church, with boldness, there will be offense. And this passive offense is so often neglected. So often we are actively offending a lost generation by not saying what we should say. By not preaching what we should preach. You see, the reality is, offense that comes often should come not from from gospel, excuse me, offense that comes often in our day comes more from gospel complacency than it does from gospel clarity. In Paul's day, he offended. In Jesus' day, he offended. In John's day, he offended. But not by sinning. By living life to the glory of God. Do you remember this passage? As many of the disciples who had been following and listening to Jesus turned away from Christ, you'll remember this passage in John chapter 6 about their offense. After this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered Him, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that You are the Holy One of God. Now here is the question. Why is it that all of these people turned away in offense? What was it that Jesus had just said that begged the question, will you go away as well? What was it? What was the thing that divided the people? Why did the twelve stay and the many leave? Well, this one verse precedes this experience. John chapter 6, verse 65. Jesus says, This is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Jesus says, the only way that you become a Christian is not by your will, but by the will of God. And many people said, I don't want that Gospel. 
scandalous. You mean to tell me, Jesus, I've been a member in good standing of a church for years and that's not good enough for heaven? The rich young ruler, I've kept every one of the commandments, Jesus, and now you're telling me to sell all that I have and to, to give it to the poor? My goodness, my reputation, my religion, that's not enough? I'm out of here. You're telling me that before the foundation of the world, God set His love upon a people and He's seeking to redeem them? That's repulsive to me. I'm out of here. Scandalous, a stumbling block, something that will send many away. The real gospel holds real scandal. I was given this right before service today. And it's so true to our day and age. It's a song called Scandal On, written by a man named Michael Card. And he writes in the very conclusion, it seems today that Scandal On offends no one at all. The image that we present can be, a, can be stepped over. That is the gospel that we are proclaiming is not actually the gospel. It's a gospel that can merely be just stepped over. But the real gospel, if we really proclaim it, is something that people will get angry at. The true gospel is something that will cause everyone to be bowed to their face in the dust, realizing, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. Only God can save. The real gospel really offends the fallen flesh of man. The fullness of this, of this song says... He will be the truth that will offend them one and all. A stone that makes men stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Many will be broken so that He may, be, so that he may make them whole. And many will be crushed and lose their own soul. Along the path of life there lies a stubborn scandal on. And all who come this way must be offended. To some He is a barrier, to others He is the way. For all should know the scandalon of believing. It seems today the scandalon offends no one at all. The image we present can be stepped over. Could it be that we are like the others long ago? Will we ever learn that all who come must stumble and fall at the face of the Lord Jesus Christ? Our salvation is not because of our effort or our decisions or our goodness or our family or our intellect or our capability or our morality. Our salvation, Life Point Baptist Church, this morning and for all of eternity is rooted in the grace of Almighty God eternal. John had already told this. This was nothing new. The people that had received this letter knew what the real scandal was. And they were giving their lives to this scandal such that they were burned alive in Nero's garden. Such that their children were murdered in front of them. But this scandal, this stumbling block is the one that broke them to the point they knew they needed the grace of Almighty God. And so they followed Him. They knew the words of John in the Gospel, chapter 1, verses 9-13. through 13. Speaking of Jesus, the true light which gives light to everyone was come into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through Him. Yet the world did not know Him. He, became, he came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of God, but of God. Beloved John says, we are of God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And this gospel that you declare will be a scandal. Let the whole world stumble over this gospel. Speak it with boldness. Give your life to it. Give your children for it. Give everything that you have. But don't pass, don't actively lay offenses in the paths of others that would hinder them from coming to this gospel. And having genuine fellowship and joy. The gospel has been the scandalon of the lost world for the past 2,000 years. 
But to us who believe this morning, it is the power of God unto salvation. He is saving us by grace alone, and we know that nothing else could ever save us. Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 11, I think, lays out the most eloquent reality of our salvation for those of us in Christ this morning. He says something that should make everyone in here, if you are believing at this moment, rejoice. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who has come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John, what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Are we not beggars this morning? And blessed is the one who is not scandalized by me. If you are here this morning and believing, if you have not been offended with Jesus to the point that you turn from His Gospel and live your life your own way. And that can be done in religion too. If you are genuinely in love with the biblical Jesus, it is by grace alone. And Jesus says, you are the most blessed of all the earth. Let's rejoice in the fact that in our hearts, Jesus is not a stumbling block. And let us reckon with the fact that the reason that is so is only the grace of God. Would you pray with me? Father God, how foolish we are. How often we cause others to stumble in our pride, in our religious arrogance, in our own view of what the world should be. Father, would you help us to not be people rooted in our own stubborn opinions? Not in our own religion, but help us to be people rooted in Christ and in His Word such that as our lives are lived out in the here and now, we wouldn't cause others to stumble, but we would push them. We would be a means of kindness leading them in the direction of Your Son. Father, might we hold forward the true Gospel and might we know that those who stumble over it and reject it are merely living in their flesh. And that those who are brought low as they stumble over the Gospel are only brought low by Your kindness and Your grace such that You might raise them to new life. Father, if there's one here this morning who doesn't know You, who has believed in a religious form of the Gospel, might You do what only You can do and bring them to repentant faith that they would rest in Your good graces and in nothing else. In